0: The book of Joshua. We are covering the books of the Old Testament as we did with the New Testament. We did one sermon per book of the New Testament, and now we're doing one sermon per book of the Old Testament. And we've done already First Samuel, Second Samuel, Judges, and Ruth. So Joshua is the last one at the beginning of the historical books. And then we'll try to do the Kings before we are done reading the Kings this month. Perhaps you've already finished that. Open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. There are 24 chapters in this amazing book. And I find myself saying, every one of these sermons, I find myself saying... That the book is amazing. Such wisdom, such interest, such human nature, such insight. This book is named after Joshua, the leader of the Israelites. He was born as a slave. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't do great things if Joshua began as a slave. And he has something that Moses doesn't have. A book of the Bible is named after him. <clears throat> he died at 110 years old, and he was in training for 40 years. We think four years at, at university is long. Joshua was in training for 40 years. How do you think he felt always following Moses? Always following, never leading. But then he was given the chance to lead. Where does this start? 500 years earlier, 500 years before Joshua, Abraham was called. And then the Jewish nation grew until they were slaves in Egypt. And then God caused them to have a population explosion. I don't know if you've ever looked at the time frame but they were only in Egypt for a few generations. And when they left Egypt, they were about 2 million people. They came in at 70 people, plus three in Joseph's family, four in Joseph's family, and they left at 2 million. 70 to 2 million, that's a big uh, growth. That means that God worked a miracle, as he said in Exodus chapter one, so that very few babies were lost. So the, the, the Israeli women were commonly uh, falling pregnant. And now we have the Egyptians' brutal treatment, and they are brought out by Moses. Moses dies before he enters the promised land in the last page of Deuteronomy. And now Joshua must stand up and lead. And so let's get into the book. There are 24 chapters, and the book divides right down the middle, as if you just divided it right in half. Chapters 1 to 12 is the fighting, the battle, the conquering. Chapters 13 to 24 is dividing. Chapters 1 to 12, conquering the land. Chapters 13 to 24, dividing up the land. Chapters 13 to 21 are technical descriptions, largely, of the land and how it was given, how it was broken up. So we won't spend as much time. There's only a few lessons that I'll pull out from those chapters. So we'll spend the majority of the time in chapters 1 through 12. I say that so that if you're listening tonight and you think he's taking a long time and he's only to chapter 9. We're almost done with the book then. So let's get right into it. And let's see that God fulfills his promises to his people by giving them authority to conquer the land. He fulfills all of his promises. He's going to tell us that in the book. All of the promises were fulfilled. But yet... He fulfilled those promises by giving the authority to the people in the land. Chapter 1. You have your Bibles open there. Chapter 1 is preparation for battle. And in chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, we have a remarkable speech by Joshua. And in verse 6, the Lord tells him to be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, do you see the word courage in verse 7? In verse 9, courage. Verse 18, courage. Do you see those words four times? Verse 6, 7, 9, 18. Courage. Men need courage. Our boys need courage. God commands Joshua and his people to have courage. The Christian faith is not for the weak or the faint of heart. We need courage. It's hard to stand against the crowd. It's hard to say the truth at all times. Look at verse 8. This is a verse that teaches the necessity of daily Bible reading. If someone says, why should I read my Bible? Verse 8. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate in it whenever you get a chance catching a verse here and there on what's up when someone changes their status. Is that what verse 8 says? This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it from time to time, whenever you happen to open your Bible. Day and night. Constant. Some people have called me a legalist because I require my family and urge every Christian to read their Bible every day. And I would say I'm not not even half of a legalist because this law is twice a day. If I were a legalist, I'd be telling you to do it two times. Read your Bible constantly. Why? There's a reason in verse 8. What's the reason? Because then you will be prosperous and successful. The churches that preach on prosperity, I wish they would preach on this verse. Memorize the Bible. Study it from cover to cover. Spend money on the Bible before you give it to the pastor. Buy yourself a beautiful leather Bible. Ask Mia Coney, she's got a beautiful Bible. And if you want one, we're going to put it in another order this week. Chapter one, preparing to enter the land. Chapter two, Rahab. She's called Rahab the harlot throughout the Bible. She's mentioned Just a few times in the Bible, Old and New Testament. But five of the eight times that she is mentioned, she's called Rahab the harlot. I think we could give her two more titles. Let's call her Rahab the evangelist. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. And that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She didn't forget her family. She couldn't imagine having a relative who would be destroyed. She made certain that her family was converted. Look at all the names she mentions in there, father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all that they have, all my nephews and nieces. Rahab apparently was not married because she married afterward, and she doesn't mention her children here. She married a man who'd eventually be a great-grandfather of David the king. Rahab is the evangelist, but that's not her only title. She should be called Rahab, an example of true faith. Because she hid the spies. She's mentioned at what book in the New Testament? Can anyone tell me what book in the New Testament mentions Rahab? Deneo, what book? Lloyd, what book? The book of James. James chapter two. It only picks two examples of faith in the whole Bible. James, the brother of Jesus, picks two examples. Can anyone tell me the two examples that she picks? That, I'm sorry, that James picks? Two examples. If you want to know what it means to believe on Jesus, look to these two people from the Old Testament. If you, do you want to be a Christian? Then follow those two people, Abraham and Rahab. You mean the harlot? No, I mean the example of a true Christian. She's here in chapter 2, and it's a wonderful story. And it's a reminder, again, that the Bible always elevates women. In the ancient Near East, where this book was written... Women were not allowed to testify in court unless you were a Jew. And here, when Joshua records the history, he gives a whole chapter, excuse me, a whole chapter to this woman. Rahab the harlot is also the evangelist and the example. Go to chapter three. In chapter three and four, they cross the Jordan River. Chapters 3 and 4, as they cross over, a miracle happens and when the priest's feet touch the water of the Jordan River, the water stops as it flows south and it piles up and maybe they could have remembered all the stories they heard about the Red Sea as the waters just piled up and they could walk through. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, gives traditions. And they all take a stone in verse 5 and 6, and they pile these stones up. And in verse 6, it says, This may be a sign among you. Chapter 4, verse 6, that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What do you mean by these stones? Then you will answer them verse seven that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Verse seven, and these stones will be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Verse eight, and the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded. We need godly traditions in our home, so that our little ones will say Papa Dimini Hili Re and we can say to them, we do this because God is our God and he answered our prayers. That's why I think it's a good reason to have a Christmas time at your house so that your children will grow up just like they did here in chapter four. Some people say they don't like Christmas because it's not in the Bible. And I would say... If you don't want to do Christmas, do something else like they did. How can you find a proof for Christmas from the book of Joshua? Because they had traditions where they were passing on truths to their children. And I want you to pass on those truths to your children just like Joshua passed on. Chapter 4 verse 24. So that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. They crossed over Jordan and they're about to conquer Israel. And they came out of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea. So that all the earth would know there is a God. And his name is Jehovah. Yahweh. I am. That's the God. There are no other gods. Not the gods of the Amorites, or the Canaanites, or the Hittites, or the Perizzites, or the Jebusites. It's Jehovah. And again, we see hints. Just hints in passing. That someday in the future, the king would say, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. Here's a hint. He does it so that all the earth would know. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 is remarkable. The entire chapter... Is given over to circumcision. That was given to Abraham 500 years earlier, but they had forgotten. God reminded them when they came out of Egypt, but that was 40 years earlier, and they had forgotten. Brothers and sisters, we forget constantly. We forget God's commands to us. We forget what we are supposed to do. We forget the call of God. It would be an interesting study for you as you read your Bible to mark down every time the Bible mentions forgetting. It's actually a sin that God punishes. They forgot circumcision, and God said, "Before you go into the land, I want you to be marked as my people." This was a mark for the Jews, and so they restored it here in chapter 5. Chapter 6 is the famous story where the walls of Jericho come down. You know the story? They have to march around the city one time per day with no noise. And the seventh day, they march around it seven times, and the walls will fall over. But look at chapter 6, verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. If you're making notes, I'm going to give you a number of Bible verses of all the times in Joshua when they were told to annihilate everyone. And then I'm going to explain why. Chapter 6, verse 21. Chapter 8, verses 24 to 26. Chapter 10, verses 28 through 40. Chapter 11, verses 11 through 14. If you missed those, I can give you the notes or you can get the recording. Four times in the book of Joshua. Four different chapters, they are commanded to annihilate everyone. And several times in the book of Deuteronomy. But look at chapter 6 verse 21. Who is destroyed? Man and who? Young and old. Ox and sheep and donkey. Why did all the people have to be destroyed? Here's the answer. Their sins were so great that it had affected the entire culture. And God told his people, I don't want anything connected to that culture to be left. Joshua destroys the common teaching of multiculturalism. Because when the Israelites came into the city, they could not even leave the livestock. In many of the cities, they destroyed all of the buildings. God said... Their sin is so great it has permeated even their architecture. I want nothing left so that in no way will you be connected to them. And secondly, God was doing this so that they would not think they gained their wealth at all from those people. It was nothing for God to raise up a wealthy society from zero, from scratch. The book of Joshua in chapter 6 verse 21 and these other passages that I mentioned that we'll see just now. The book of Joshua demonstrates that when a culture does not have the Bible, it is lost and dark and hopeless. Listen to this verse from Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18. Where there is no revelation from God, the people perish. That's what the Bible teaches. What we see in Solomon's proverb, where there is no revelation from God, the people perish, that's exactly what we're seeing here in the book of Joshua. Without the Bible, the people's lives are vile and backward and filthy and wicked. And so God commanded their destruction. If you want to know why did the children have to be destroyed? The answer is if the parents were destroyed, who would raise the children? You may recall the Israelites came through the wilderness with 2 million people. And secondly, those children died for the sins of their parents in the same way that if a man is a drunkard all his life, his children may take that sin on as well. The consequences spread to the children. If you say, why did the women die? Because as we mentioned this morning, women are very powerful. Feminists Are the people who say they want to give women power and take back power. Christians say women have always had power. Women are very powerful. It was women who threw down Solomon. And all through history, godly women have been unusually powerful. And have had great Influence in society. It was Monica, the godly mother of Augustine, who prayed for him for 30 years before he was converted. And Augustine went on to become one of the most influential men in the church. But in his book, Confessions, he says over and over, it was my mother. It was my mother who did that. G.K. Chesterton said, we give every person in the world to the complete control of women until they're too old to learn anything and then they go to school. (laughs) Women are very powerful and when they destroyed these societies, they were recognizing that The fact that not only the soldiers, the men were killed, but the women were killed because they too were very powerful and very influential. No, in the Bible, there's no idea that women are weak. There's no idea that women are second class citizens. They are like Rahab able to be saved when no men were saved and they can do great things and be recorded right along with Abraham in James chapter 2. And at the same time, they can carry on a sinful culture. And if they have had their hands in that sinful culture, they deserve the same thing that the men did. Chapter 7 is the story of Achan. Verse 1, the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. What do you notice in that first verse? Who is guilty in verse 1? Achan is guilty, but who else is guilty? The whole nation. How can this be? There is a sense in which when one member sins, he has a great effect on all the other members. That's what I just said in chapter 6 verse 21. When we sin, our sin does not stop with us. It permeates and spreads. All of Israel was under the anger of God because of Achan's sin. Chapter 7 verse 10. This is very interesting. In chapter 7, verses 7, 8, and 9, Joshua prays. While he's praying, what does God say? Verse 10 And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why are you lying like that on your face? Jehovah does not say to Joshua, I'm glad you're praying. When there is is work to be done, God wants to see the fruits of repentance. If you're living with your girlfriend, don't go to a prayer meeting. Send her back home. If you're living in sin, don't say, oh, I'm going to go to church. Don't go to church. Fix your sin. Joshua's praying and God does not say, I wish everyone would come pray with you. Get up! What are you doing on your face? This is the time to get rid of the sin! Very strong words. And again in verse 11 who does God say has done the sin? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant. In verse 12, notice verse 12. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. God refuses to be with those who harbor sin. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Do not quench the spirit. Have we quenched the spirit? Is there sin in our church, in our family, in our hearts? Chapter 7, verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, And the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned him with stones. We need to read the Old Testament so that we don't become intoxicated with thoughts from the 21st century. That was justice. And if you have questions about how could it be that in Ezekiel 18... It says, the son will not die for the father and the father will not die for the son. Every man will bear his own sin. How can this be that all of Israel was guilty when Achan had sinned? But notice this, when Achan was punished, all Israel was forgiven. God wanted to see from Israel, do you hate sin? Will you deal with sin the way it needs to be dealt with? And God knew because he knows everything that Israel justly deserved to lose to Ai because of their attitudes and their heart. And here, when Israel decisively cuts off Achan and his family, God restores the whole nation. Notice that God did not destroy the whole nation. He destroyed Achan. Why did he destroy Achan's family? Answer, they were guilty too. Oh, but they didn't do anything. How do you know that? If God wanted them to die, then God knew something that you don't know. These are the kinds of things that foolish people bring up. Sometimes Muslims will bring up as an example that, oh, look, the Bible has contradictions. Why did the children die? Answer, you're not God. Did you know what those children did? Are you going to write the list down and then declare them innocent? God knew what had happened. And he knew that this was justice. Chapter 8. They go back to Ai. And they conquer Ai. This little town. And then notice at the end. Here's an... Interesting section that you may not have noticed here. Joshua chapter 8 verse 32. Joshua has an altar here. He's built to the Lord. And now look what he's going to do. He's going to read the law to the Jews. Look in verse 32. And he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. Which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. What did he write in the stones? A copy of the Law of Moses. Now, this is what we do in Logic. We try to uh, exchange the terms. Take out the term Law of Moses and put in another term that clarifies what exactly he wrote on the stones. Can any of you think of it? You're close. Put one word before the word commandments. A number. The Ten Commandments. Joshua gathered this altar and all these stones together. And then on the stones he chiseled the Ten Commandments. That's what verse 32 says. But what does it call the Ten Commandments in verse 32? A copy of the law of Moses. Why am I saying this? Because... The Old Testament law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That Old Testament law was summarized with the Ten Commandments. And that's a proof text right there. And that becomes very valuable when you get to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And it says that covenant was passing away and its law... But I will write my law in their hearts. That's the law of Christ, not the Ten Commandments. It's the law of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 34 the first Israeli Bible conference. And afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the congregation of Israel, with the women too. Again, see the honor that God gives to women? In other societies, it would be the men. In, in a just and fair society, says we want our women to be educated too. Women are very powerful. We want them to know the law of God. Bring the men and the women. Bring them all together to listen. And who else was there in verse 34? Verse 35. I want all the kids there too. I grew up in a society where they would have children's church. They would send the kids out to go to their church. Thankfully, they taught the children. That's good. I think it's important for the children to be with the adults. There was no children's time for the law of Moses where he made it really simple. Like, be nice. Don't be bad. The kids were in the teaching. Who else was there? All the foreigners. That tells us what? It goes back to chapter 4, verse 24. This is for all the earth. Even in the Old Testament, if you were from a different skin color or a different language, God would take you if you're willing to be with his people and obey his law and listen to his law. He'll take the strangers. He'll take the foreigners. Take everyone. If you'll bow your knee to Jehovah, he'll take you. Can you think of one of the names of the people who was in the group of foreigners? Rahab was there. It was the first time she heard the law. Just a few weeks, she says, wow, this is so new to me. I've got to learn all this. I I feel like I've got so much to learn. Yes, Joshua says, come to a Bible conference where they read the whole Old Testament law. Chapter 9, the Gibeonites. Do you know the story of the Gibeonites? The story of the Gibeonites is that there was a people group who lived near to Israel, inside Israel. And God had told Joshua, conquer those people. And those people were terrified. So they put on old clothes and got old bread and came as if they had walked from far away. And they said to Joshua and the elders, please have mercy on us and make a treaty with us and don't kill us. And in verse 14, it says they did not pray to the Lord and ask for wisdom. And so Joshua and the elders said, okay, we'll make a treaty with you but they did not know that they were being lied to. They did not know that the people lived very close to them because the people were lying and saying, oh, we come from far away. So they made a treaty with the Gibeonites. And when they found out who the Gibeonites were, what did they do? Look at verse number 19. But all the princes said to all the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be on us because of the oath which we swore to them. Godly men keep their word, even if it costs them a great deal. Psalm 15 says, who will dwell in your holy hill? The man who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You make a promise and then you find out, oh no, I shouldn't have said that. And then you call the person back and say, hey, hey, I didn't realize this and this, so I'm not going to do it. That's not a godly man. A man of integrity, he says, I will do it, keeps his word. And here... The Jews, even though they should have asked God for advice, they at least had the character enough not to break their word. Chapters 10 through 12, they're conquering the land. In chapter 10, 11 and 12, it's a string of battles, one battle after another. And there's the miracle in verse 13, when the sun stood still. There are many people who say that the Bible has an error because the sun doesn't move. But that's a very foolish thing to say. How many of us say the sun rises and the sun sets? Everyone talks that way. We understand now that the sun is a great star that does not move and that the earth rotates it. But even today... You're not going to call your grandfather a liar if he says, hey, the sun is setting now. I'll come back tomorrow. Oh, dad, you're a liar. The sun's not setting. The earth is spinning. We all know that we're speaking according to human experience. So people who try to get verse 13 and say, the sun stood still, that's a lie. No, that's grasping at straws. But what did happen there? The, sun, the earth stopped turning. How can that happen? Sometimes God does miracles that seem to be so very small. Like when he allowed Hannah to have a baby. That's so small, it's just right so, the size of a cell. And sometimes he does a miracle where he just puts his hand down on the earth and says, stop. Why did he stop the earth? He already told us in the book. Chapter 4, verse 24. I want all the earth to know there is a God in Israel. Don't you think that all the people in Canaan and Egypt, when they saw, here's a day that's very, very long... Mommy, when can I go to bed? Not yet. The sun hasn't moved. All the earth will know there was a hand that stopped it. God said, I want all the earth to know that I am the king. And then he did something like that to demonstrate it. Chapter 10, 11, and 12 go on describing the conquering of the land. And we've reached the halfway point in the book the 80% point in the sermon. Go to chapter 13. Now we're dividing up the land. <clears throat> in chapter 13, verse 13, look what we see here. Chapter 13, verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Geshurites nor the Maccathites, but the Geshurites and the Maccathites dwell among the Israelites until this day how can that be wait a minute then then they didn't finish their job keep going look at chapter 15 verse 63 15 verse 63 as for the jebusites the inhabitants of Jerusalem the children of Judah could not drive them out but the jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day chapter 16 verse 10 16, verse 10. And they did not drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Chapter 17, verse 12. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Verse 13. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxed strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. And many more verses like that. True or false? The Israelites finished their job. True or false? The Israelites finished their job. False. They did not finish their job. They should have driven all of them out. But wait a minute. Now go back. Go back to chapter 11, verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 23. So Joshua took how much of the land? The whole land according to all that the Lord said to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. Go to chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. And Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said to him, thou art old and stricken in years. And there remains yet very much land to be possessed. What? Did they take all the land or was there much land left? Go to chapter 21, verse 43. 21, verse 43. And the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he swore to give to their fathers... And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There did not fail anything of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Chapter 23 verse 14. This is Joshua giving a speech to the Jews in their final days. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. Not one thing has failed of it. Do you see the difficulty? Which is it? Did, did they take all the land, or did they still have enemies? The answer is really very simple. God performed everything on his side. But the Jews performed only part of what was on their side. When it says none of their enemies stood before them, it means when they went out in the strength of God, in obedience to God, they always won. But when they did not do what we heard in chapter one, what was the word that was repeated four times in chapter one? Courage, 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 courage. When they did not have courage, when they looked and were afraid, when they held back, when they said, oh, I don't want to do this. When they did not obey God, they did not drive out the people. But when they acted in faith, everything happened. The answer is this. God fulfilled everything he said he would do. And the Jews fulfilled only part of what they were told to do. I would love to preach a full sermon on chapters 13 to 24. One sermon on those chapters just to say this. God will always do his part. But men are constantly failing on their part. It's constant. Look at your own heart and your own soul. And so we close with Joshua's speeches in chapter 23 and 24. There are other very important things in this book. We're just giving a jet tour. Chapters 23 and 24, Joshua gives speeches. In chapter 23, verse 1, Joshua's old and he gives a speech. Look at verse 6. Be you therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That you do not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That you do not um, come among these nations that still remain among you. Neither make mention of the name of their gods. Do you see that in verse 6, chapter 23, verse 6 and 7? Do not cause to swear to, by them. Do not serve them or bow to them, but cleave to the Lord your God as you have done this day. Friends, Joshua had zero respect for other religions. Zero We are told today that we have to respect everyone. I will respect the people, but I don't respect your religion. Your religion is backward, foolish, wicked, and demonic. The religion of Jesus Christ is the only way to be civilized, that's it. All of the religions are barbarous. They'll make you a barbarian. That has nothing to do with um, one nation over another, it has to do with the Bible. Joshua had no respect. Don't even talk about them. They don't even deserve discussion. They deserve to be conquered. That religion deserves to be conquered. Joshua has no compromise for them. He says in verse 11 that loving the Lord is the highest importance. Verse 12, chapter 23, verse 12. Else if you do in any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even those that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Verse 13. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they will be snares and traps to you. And on and on. Chapter 23, Joshua tells them very clearly, have nothing to do with their religion. I sometimes feel like the Christians who promote multiculturalism just don't read the Old Testament. This is not an isolated incident. It's all through the Old Testament. There's no respect for false religions. Islam would get no respect. Buddhism gets no respect. Hinduism gets no respect. African traditional religion gets no respect. Christ is the king, and he doesn't respect these other things. He doesn't care what they have to say. He doesn't need their books. Chapter 24 is another speech. And Joshua is at the end of his life, and possibly the most famous verse in Joshua is verses 14 and 15, and we'll close with this. Verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away what? It's always that way in the Bible. False religion. Everything in the Bible is declaring it's one religion against all others. Put away those gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You make your choice, but I've made my choice and I'm going to teach my children. That's a command for fathers to teach their children. There's a command for family worship. You do what you want in your house, but I'm going to do this for my children. We're going to serve Jehovah. And look at this in verse 19. Joshua said to all the people, "You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not do what?" Forgive. He won't do it. We hear everyone saying, "Oh, God will forgive, God will forgive, God will forgive. Read your Bible. He'll never forget your sins outside of blood sacrifice. You must die for your sins or your sins must be passed off to someone else who will die for you. What is the message for the church? If you're going to write a theme, if you're going to go back to chapter one and write a theme over the book of Joshua, here it is. Obedience requires Work and war. Five words for the whole book of Joshua. Obedience requires work and war. And that is a New Testament message. Of course, in the new covenant, we don't fight anyone with weapons of, of the flesh. And we don't shoot people. We don't take knives and stab people. No, we let them shoot us. We send our sons out to be missionaries and our daughters out to places where they'll get killed. We don't kill people, but we have to do what Joshua did spiritually. We're in the new covenant and there's no way that you can be obedient unless you work hard and fight with all your might. And God will do his part, but I fear that we will be like the Israelites and only do a portion. The book of Joshua is very important for the Christian life. You could say it's the story of sanctification. May God help us to be sanctified today. Let's close our eyes.